The following is a Logan Agency production. Today's show is brought to you by WarbyParker.com. Get a free five-day home try-on at www.WarbyParkerTrial.com forward slash Logan. Five pairs, five days, 100% free. This is the first run of PNW Pod. PNW Pod, what is that exactly, PNW Pod? We are going to actually be speaking with professionals throughout the Northwest, people that I know personally, and also people that I'm uh, getting to know as time goes on. People in the states of Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Montana, doing interesting things in different industries, and just a a cool way to kind of get out of the wheelhouse of what we do at Logan Agency, which revolves around a relationship podcast and an indie music podcast. I kind of want to get back to the roots of really talking to people and uh, not talking so much about me or asking the same questions when it comes to independent music. So with this first episode, I thought I would reach out to an old friend of mine, also my first boss in the professional realm, uh, Jason Allen, joining us via Whereby tonight. Uh, thank you so much, man, for your time. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's a pleasure to be on. It's good to catch up with you a little bit here. And uh, you know, now that we've got the kids in bed, we can sit here and, and relax and uh, talk about a few things. Yeah, it's uh, interesting to say that, man. I know personally, me working with you, it's been over a decade, like 14 years since we stopped working together at KJO and KLDR in uh, Grants Pass, Oregon. It's interesting to say that we both have kids now, man. It's uh, hard to comprehend looking back then versus now, man. 14 years not only flies by, but at the same time, it's like, shit. A lot of shit has ultimately happened in 14 years. Yeah, you're not kidding, man. You say 14 years ago, and uh, we actually just celebrated our 14th wedding anniversary in July. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, twice as long as most people make it. (laughs) Yeah. They aren't kidding about the seven-year thing either. It was uh, that was a real thing, and I don't know if it was just because you know I'd heard people say it, and I I uh, thought about it a lot, and it had like uh, maybe a negative impact. But yeah, year seven was kind of a, a roller coaster. But uh, not to get too sidetracked, but it's it's just interesting how it's been that long, and uh, you know that, that was the last time we worked together, and uh, I got married and had five kids. It's like <laughs> fourteen years. Matter of fact, I was just in Roseburg today. Uh, in the building where I had my first radio job and I was telling uh, Rochelle up there who's now the general manager I'm like man can you believe it it's uh let's see what year are we in 2020 the year that is never gonna end yeah right (laughs) it's it's been it's been 20 years Um, (laughs) actually a little bit longer than that but I left there in 2001 but yeah it was basically 20 years ago is when I was like in the middle of of working there and um, they've since moved the studios, as I was telling you before we got started, but it was just interesting to stand in that building. And I looked in this, it's, it's kind of like a closet uh, where they have uh, their old AM studio. <laughs> and uh, there's air filters stacked in there and the old boards in there and it's all dusty and it's all torn apart and they walled in the studio window and everything. So it's real dark and I actually took a picture. I'm like, man, this is where it all started, right? <laughs> those beaver games, you know, playing a board off on a Saturday when nobody else wanted to work. And that was how you got your foot in the door. You know, you just, you showed up and took any gig. And I think my first check was like $19 or something <laughs> for a couple hours around the board. 
And, uh, you know when you see those people that do those side-by-sides, like this is where it started and, and this yeah, <laughs> where we are now. Or how, I can't remember how it's worded. <laughs> it's one of those things that was really taken off recently on the internet. How it started, how it's going. I think that's it. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going to take a picture of this because this is really legitimately where it started aside from Glendale and the high school radio station. So technically like the per- first professional gig uh, was just sitting there pressing buttons and hitting play on the cart machine and firing off the commercials and, and that was it. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a long time and it's crazy how fast time goes by. And it's interesting to, to kind of look back, man. Um, you talk about, you know, being a board op. I remember um, working KJO and KLDR and pretty much spending an entire summer getting taught how to ultimately speak the differences between the and the and uh and a, um, having to go through the phone book and actually read off people's names hundreds of times over. Um, yeah, yeah, that was, I thought I knew everything. I had no idea. Now, and you know what's funny about you bringing that up is most of the people on radio never had that experience. <laughs> but for those of us that worked at Grants Pass Broadcasting, was Jim still around when you started or was Jim gone? Uh, Jim was Jim was on the way out. So you didn't learn you learned from Carl. I, I learned from Carl, yeah. Okay, so when I started there, uh, and we're talking about Jim Wilson and Carl Wilson, and they've Jim Wilson started Grants past broadcasting with uh, L.B. Parker, but I learned from Jim, and he took me out back in the old single-wide trailer, you know, with their old prod room out there, and he'd just make me sit there and, and read to him. And I remember saying, uh, president instead of president, and, and, and sure instead of sure, and man, he would rip you, and it was like, you're getting it wrong. But every single word, he'd make sure that you knew how to say it. And I've thrown a lot of that stuff out the window because that's just not how I talk. Yeah. I both grew up in the same area. So like we had to diction. And that guy, I had, we had diction class once a week at least. And at first, it was almost every day. And uh, once I got off the hook where I didn't have to go to that, I was so excited because, man, that sucked. <laughs> It was, I was so nervous to say, you know, sure, wrong. <laughs> and, uh, and the H is the wah, you know, you oh, the wah yeah. in there. It can't just be wit. <laughs> I don't know if they do that anymore there, but it was so robotic. It just had a robotic sound to it. And it's obviously, if you're reading the news, I'm hearing news. <laughs> news it's news like a you like the sheep and i'm like man i was so i, I can't tell you how excited i'm still excited to be done with it yeah news that that's one of the things they really believed in there and, and so we had to do it and uh, if you wanted to work there you had to and, and i did do the news on kjo uh, during the noon report when i first started working there and so i guess it made sense to do that but then i would go over to kldr and do the hot eight at eight fm and it's like here i'm trying to pronounce like things and people are like man you sound robotic and that's not who i was it's not who you are were you know and just trying to uh, follow his rules though because if he turned on KLDR and heard you saying something that wasn't 
pronounced correctly, he'd be busting your balls. I mean, he'd walk right in the studio. Yep. He walked in the Cajo studio and just stood there with his arms crossed until I was done with the news. News. <laughs> <laughs> on the air, and he's just standing there. You know, he's like, what, 78, 80 years old, somewhere in there, just staring at you while you're on the air. And talk about, you know, making someone nervous. You have the guy that founded the radio station in 1955, I think, just staring at you in the studio while you're on the air. <laughs> <laughs> it was an experience though man it was uh it was interesting to say the least yeah that was a that was an interesting summer man um summer 03 um to kind of give people a little bit of a backstory um my college plans ended up not working out and i ended up man ended up in a, a car accident on july 4th being a, a stupid ass kid you called me about like a month later and um offered me the job man it was i don't know it was the start of a exactly how that came about i know that um and maybe you remember more of this than i do because i'm getting old and <laughs> i remembered but um i just know we had a spot open and uh i was like well you know, we've got this high school radio station. There's a kid out there. And I don't even remember how I got your phone number. Maybe it was my sister. Yeah, I think. My sister. I'm like, who's got AJ's phone number? <laughs> I think because that that whole summer, man, like, so for people that don't know or whatever the case may be, like, my aunt was the justice of the peace in this one horse town, Glendale, Oregon, in which Jason and I both grew up. And because of the circumstances of the accident and the fact that the accident ultimately occurred, I was in lockdown. So at my family's property, there's two houses. There's my dad's place and my aunt's place. And my dad worked and basically to keep me from doing stupid shit or them thinking I was going to do stupid shit. Um, basically, I was on lockdown uh, that entire summer, man. So, yeah, you... Uh, so you got in the accident and they said you're not doing a damn thing, basically? Pretty much, man. I, I got to... I got to spend my entire summer leading up to uh, starting work for you at, at KLDR. Pretty much from July 4th to August, man, I had a, a cast almost all the way up to my shoulder. And uh, yeah, I was, I was in minimum security prison at my aunt's house, man, um, up until the time I turned 18 and I moved to GP. <laughs> I mean, it's not funny that you were in lockdown, but it's funny that they did that. And, I mean, kids now would be like, that's torture. You can't do that. You know, they would ride it and burn the house down. Yep. You know, but uh, that's what happens, you know, when you, especially in some of the households that we grew up in, you know, you don't mess around. Nope. And, uh, I was just telling my son, who's four, he's like, Dad, tell me a story. I don't want you to read a book. So a couple of nights ago, I'm like, all right, I'll, read, I'll tell you a story. I'm like, what story can I tell? <laughs> I'm like, there's this one time, it was raining like crazy. And uh, it was like a torrential downpour. And it was uh, it was like the, it was like 97. It was the year we had the, or not, yeah, 97, we had the big flood, New Year's flood. And uh, I had my dad's 74 Ford and he's like, whatever you do, do not go up on King Mountain. We won't, we just want to go see the high water and see what's flooding. <laughs> So Todd Maurer and I, he has the last 10. We go out, we see it flooding. We get up to start out, and we're like, 
come on, King Mountain. And uh, needless to say, he almost rolled this truck down the hill and it's hanging on by a tree and got stuck and it got dark. And, and the short of it is, you know, the moral of the story is that I had to ride the school bus for a couple of weeks after the fact. And, uh, it was kind of funny because I was trying to explain it to my son. I'm like, yeah, my dad took my keys away and made me ride the school bus. And I had explained to everyone why, why I was riding the school bus. Uh, it was just one of those funny memories, you know, but that's where it's like getting one the hard way. Yep. You know? It's kind of like your lockdown. Yep. You get fucking uh-uh. <laughs> I'm going to teach you a lesson. And uh, more often than not, it worked. And obviously, we still like to cause a little trouble. Yeah. But for the most part, it uh, taught, taught you a lesson. It did. It did, man. Nothing like uh, having to shower with a uh, like a hefty bag all the way up your arm for an entire summer, man. You have to uh, practice safe arm shower. <laughs> Luckily, it happened on my right hand. I could stick it out the shower. Yeah, right. <laughs> you're, you're left-handed, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. So at least it wasn't your left hand. Yeah. That you can still write and uh, feed yourself. Yep. And then when I started working at uh, KLDR, not only did I have to go to uh, to diction school, man. Um, yeah, it was it was just an interesting time all around, man. I was. Um, in addition to kind of a different world, taking that step to professional broadcasting to do it pretty much with a uh, one hand too was an interesting start, man. And I guess that led to me uh, being able to run a, a pretty tight board pretty quickly when you get to learn to do everything with one appendage. So um, yeah, learned a lot of things real quick and then a lot of a lot of stupidity on my part too. I, I think the number was like five or six the amount of times that you told me that you were going to fire my ass so <laughs> yeah, a couple of times for sure yeah I never did right no I remember firing no yeah, like I said I forgot more than ever <laughs> no no we uh yeah we we definitely had some uh had some conversations and I pulled some stupid stunts, man, but grateful for the experience. And it, it led to, uh, some other things too, man. So talk about your journey, man. Um, you mentioned radio free Glendale, that start, um, speak to us a little bit about how everything kind of began for you. Why radio, man? How did it all come about? Well, as a kid, you know, growing up uh, where we did in Glendale, there wasn't a lot to do. And I just remember when I would go cut firewood with my dad, he'd always, you know, his old 71 Ford, we'd go up on the hill and we'd cut a shit ton of Madrone firewood. And uh, he'd always leave the doors of his pickup open. And he was always listening to KCNA, you know, 102.7. At that time, it was oldies, right? Yep. So we're talking like 50s, 60s. And so I grew up in the 80s listening to that stuff. And which ended up helping me later on because when I went to work in Roseburg, they, um, they actually needed someone to run the board for graffiti night, which is the classic car cruise. It's a big deal in Roseburg and they didn't have anyone to do it. And I said, well, I'll do it. And they said, well, you have to go on the air. You have to talk and you have to throw it downtown to Kenny Sherman. And how are you going to know what songs? Cause at that time they're playing CDs. 
and they didn't have a playlist or anything. They're like, we need someone who can come in here and pick the songs, play the songs for the car crews that they're blasting the music downtown and and do the, you know, on-air shift. And I said, well, shit, give it to me. I'll do it. I know all these songs, you know? And, um, or at least I knew them well enough where I could put them in the CD player and queue and hear it and know if it was a, a cruising jam or not that they'd want to hear downtown while they were cruising. And so for me, it was always listening to the radio and there was just something about it, you know? And I, I was always just infatuated with it. I remember listening to Larry Neal and Brian Bishop and Breakfast Flakes on KRWQ, the station that I'm on now as a kid. And they were legendary. I mean, they, they were on that station. Larry was on that station for what, 35, 36 years, somewhere in there. And so I got to work with him eventually, but it was just, uh, there's something about it. And I never thought in a million years that I'd ever get the chance to do it. Um, but luckily at our high school at Glendale, Steve Burgess started the high school radio uh, station with Nate Fleming. And uh, I remember when they started it thinking, oh my gosh, this is really happening. This is what I've always, you know, loved. I just love listening to the radio. I listened to KDAC when I was a kid too, out of Eugene. I could pick it up and I'd listen to the the night show with, uh, now I can't remember his name, but I think Jack Walker was on. I mean, all these you know, people that came through K-Duck back in, <laughs> back in the you know, early 90s or whatever. And, and so listening to that, thinking, man, there's no way um, that will ever be a thing. Like, there's never really going to how, how do you get an opportunity when you're in a small town like that? I mean, just one of the hardest things, especially back then, was just getting your foot in the door. And so to, to have an opportunity, it, it just doesn't happen very often, as you know. And um, so I just... I mean, I was in shock that it was actually happening at our high school station. And then the next thing was, okay, well, they're starting it. Man, I wish that was me. And it's not, right? And so they got it. They got the ball rolling. And I remember thinking at the time, like, how am I going to get brave enough to say something? Like, that's what I want to do. Because at the time, they were still developing it all. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like a set class yet, I don't think. I think they were just kind of doing it on their free time. Um, and I, I can't remember exactly, and I could be wrong about some of this, but um, that's pretty much it. That's how it started. And then, you know, I kind of dabbled a little bit, and I, I don't know how much you remember from that time period, because you're, uh, what, four, four and a half years younger than me? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, three, man. I lost. Yeah, I forgot I what when I graduated, too. So, five years. And um, I just remember thinking at the time, man, so we're... Uh, you know, I think it was my sophomore year when they started it, I think. And then really it was because Nate Fleming was doing all the announcing. He would bring us out in our basketball games. He was the announcer. He did the starting lineups. Like he emceed everything in the school. And I just, I just remember thinking, man, I'd love to have a chance to be able to do that. But obviously he's the guy, right? He was the guy at the high school that did the announcing. Yeah. It wasn't him, it was his dad. Dad was in radio. So it was obviously a given for him to to be the guy and do the thing. And so I just kind of watched him and, and then there was just kind of an opportunity, you know, and there was a couple of us, there was, um, there was me, there's David Lute, there's Wade Crawford, uh, that all really got into the radio thing, the radio free Glendale thing. And really, I, I think really helped, you know, take it up another notch from there after Nate really got the ball rolling and thank goodness for him to get the ball rolling. But, um, I remember when we started, it was like, I mean, obviously super green and very new to it all. And we were just kind of learning on the fly and there was hardly anyone listening, you know, cause it was that one watt station. And we were also on the cable channel and we just had fun and, and goofed around and tried to like learn how to, 
you know, speak on the air, you know, as if there was a thousand people or 10,000 people <laughs> listening. And we just had fun with it, you know? And I remember we'd get CDs from KLDR. We'd go pick up CDs and David Luke had a pretty good connection there. And then, um, so we'd take little, you know, like impromptu trips over to Grants Pass and just pop in at KLDR and hang out until they'd kick us out. Um, you know, that's kind of how it all got going. And then, you know, before, before I knew it, I was, you know, announcing the assemblies or whatever and uh, being involved that way and I, I had a chance to go with some of the you know like the volleyball team to the state tournament and do some stuff there and um, you know just amateur stuff but that's really how it started and then once I uh, went off to UCC I I knew that I wanted to try and get into radio I just didn't know how I was going to do it you know it wasn't like you where you were sitting in jail at home. <laughs> For me, it was driving back and forth to Roseburg. At the time, I was living still at my parents' house. And I, I would listen to Kiss FM in Roseburg, and Mike Carter was on the air then with, uh, with Gary, and they did the morning show. Um, and I would listen to him, and they cracked me up. And I thought, man, I, I would love to do that someday. And I, I don't know how that's going to happen. And so just on a whim, I thought, I'm going to stop by the radio station and see if I can talk to someone. And it's it's like your classic story of rejection, you know, <laughs> because I stopped by, I'd go in the lobby, Vicky, who worked there for 400 years, would be sitting at the front desk, and she may still be working. <laughs> Yeah, that's front desk that I saw today. But, uh, it's now flyaway travel, but it, you know it's a radio station there on Harvard. And um, no, the guy you need to talk to is not here. Hmm. Okay, off I go. Stop back by another time. Nope, he's not here. And I'm like, well, what do we drive? How am I gonna stalk this guy to where I can catch up to him? <laughs> And I don't exactly remember how many times I stopped by, but one day I stopped by and Vicky was not working at the front desk <laughs> on a lunch break or something. I don't remember where she was, but she wasn't there. And Rochelle, who I saw today uh, when I was up in Roseburg, you know, 20 years after the fact, happened to be working at the front desk. And I said, hey, listen, I'm just, I'm going to UCC and... I just, I want to talk to the bot, the guy in charge, because I want to, I want to work here. I want to just do anything. I'll hang out, whatever it takes. And she's like, he's not here right now. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> you know, like, here we go again. Yeah. And then, when does this guy work? The front door with a, with a greasy sack of Pete's burgers and fries, you know, from the drive-in, which I love Pete's. Fun, you know, Pete's drive-in in Roseburg. It's, in Roseburg, go to Pete's. That's still open? It's the shit. But uh, he just blasted right through and I was like, hi, and didn't even stop. Went back to the uh, Kiss FM studio and, and uh, she said, hold on just a second. <laughs> and walked back there and um, came back out and she said, you can go back and talk to him. He's right back the, down the hall there. And I remember walking in there and he like jumped up on the counter and he's sitting on the counter, which he's notorious for sitting on, on the, you know, on the counter of the control room there. And um, I, I was sitting in the corner in a chair and he said, so what? Talk to me. Like, Okay. <laughs> he's like what's your story man what, 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 why do you want to talk to me I said well I want to work here and um, I really felt like he really wasn't paying that much attention at the time 
And I was telling him, I said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to UCC. You know, you're trying to explain yourself to someone. I said, I'm going to UCC. I'm commuting right now, but I really wanted to get into radio. And it just kind of, I think it was just kind of like the <laughs> noise to him. And then I said, yeah, um, my buddies and I helped get this radio station at Glendale going. And he's like, I saw you guys on the news on KPIC because they'd done a story on us. <laughs> and he's like, you were part of that high school radio station? I'm like, yeah, there's like four of us, four or five of us that were really involved at the time, which we were the ones that ended up being on the news. And he's like, okay, tell you what, I want you to give me a week. We're putting in a brand new computer system. And uh, said, give me a week and then give me a call. And, um, and so in the meantime, and I don't remember the timeline of how it all worked, but I, I moved up there not too long after I had stopped by there. And so I moved up there and, um, and I remember calling him and they had the, like the biggest clusterfuck with their computers in the history of the clusterfuck. Like, <laughs> That's saying something. Answer, he wouldn't get back to me. I'm like, he told me to call him. You'd think one way or the other he'd give me an answer. Well, a couple weeks go by and I just kept pestering him. And finally I got a hold of him and he said, all right, fine, come in and uh, I'll just give you some work to do. And, and the reality is it, it was like shredding papers and taking out the trash, your classic, you know, intern type story is what it was. And, and back in the 90s, that's kind of how you got your foot in the door. And, and so that's what I did. I burned up their paper shredder, trying to shred too many papers at once because they gave me literally like stacks. Of, <laughs> you know, when they had the real printers, <laughs> like, exactly what they call it. The yeah. You know, and it has the things on the side. On the side. You have to rip <laughs> off and you get paper cuts. Well, that's what I was shredding. And so I was feeding them like quadruple feeds through there actually like almost caught the thing on fire it was like smoking so i'm surprised i didn't kick my ass out the door at that point but <laughs> that's basically what i did i'm giving you the long version but you're good that's how i got my work door you know from there i just hung around enough to to be around and i'd go in the studio and then i'd go get them sodas or coffee next door while they were doing the morning show and and i was working for free and i'd just show up and do whatever they asked of me and occasionally they'd let me read the weather and it was like me and another kid were interns at the same time and i just remember thinking man there's two of us interns like i gotta stand out somehow <laughs> i would just i just show up for free and and i remember my buddy is telling me like you're an idiot why are you going to work for free why are you going to that live broadcast when you're not even on the radio you're just going to hang out i'm like well i'm gonna go hang out if they need help plugging in speakers i'm gonna plug in speakers and if they need me to schlep stuff around that's what i'm gonna do and that's what it took man and, and eventually what happened was they they stopped doing the morning show they hired a guy from texas and he was by himself and he was struggling and i remember waking up in the morning i lived off harvard right down the road from the radio station i was listening to the guy and i thought i'm just gonna jump up take a quick shower and i'm gonna go down there and just pop into a show you know while he's doing the morning show and see what happens and he didn't know me from adam and so i i went down there and i popped in introduced myself and i did that for a couple of days i'm like man hey uh you should just let me read the weather you know just give me the weather report just let me read the weather they let me do it all the time <laughs> they used to let me do it once in a great while but at least i'd been on you know yeah. board off games and stuff i said just just let me do the weather let me do the weather and so that's what i started doing and then he'd chat back and forth with me a little bit after the forecast or whatever and and so then i just i just like i'm gonna come back tomorrow and i didn't have class until nine o'clock i think at ucc or whatever and so I just get up at six and go in and hang out and I'm not getting paid, you know, not even getting uh, credit or anything at, school at that point. And then finally the boss said, Hey, I'll, uh, 
he popped his head and he's like, okay, I've been hearing you in here. And of course I didn't ask for permission. <laughs> and, uh, he's like, I'm going to give you guys a week to see how this goes. And if it's still going well at the end of the week, then I'll let you keep coming in. But just know I can't pay anything. Okay, fair enough. And all I wanted was a chance, you know. And so a week went by and he didn't say anything. And uh, eventually he pulled me in his office and said, okay, if you want to do this and you can get school credit, I will sign off on your cooperative work experience for college if you want to keep doing the morning show with them. And so that's what I did. And uh, I got credits at UCC, which is about the only credits I got when I was at UCC <laughs> class. <laughs> and so, and then eventually they, uh, they kicked down, I think it was like, I think it was $500 a month, finally, at some point. He's like, it's all I can give you. I've carved out a little, little bit of scratch in the budget, and here's $500 a month. And I remember being ecstatic because I'm living off of, like, mom and dad at that point. <laughs> the money I had saved up. So it was, it wasn't, you know, I was going backwards. I definitely wasn't going backwards. <laughs> Eventually, it was $750, you know, and then I think, I think it was 1000 uh, by the time I left there, but you know, I was working part time, and then I'd answer phones at lunchtime for the buy, swap, and sell show, and uh, you know, so dealing with all the people on the phone, and, and that's what I did. So I worked what three or four hours a day, and I'd leave and go to class, UCC. I'd come back, work the lunch hour, and then I'd go back to class out at Harvard on the Hill out there, and uh, that was it, man. That's how I got started. Morning <laughs> show took off, and uh, you know, I was uh, 19 years old, 20 years old. And uh, when I was on the, the morning show at Kiss FM in Roseburg at KKMX, and and we had a hell of a time. I learned a lot, and I I, I loved working for Mike Carter. He was awesome, and um, and spent a great couple of years there. You know, making poor decisions, staying out too late, drinking too much, watch <coughs> out from the radio station during the morning show between breaks because I was hungover, and uh, doing a lot of stupid shit. But man, we went for it, and we had pretty good run there when I was really young and and that that ultimately led to the job in Grants Pass which I spent seven and a half years in Grants Pass working at KLDR and worked my way up there and uh, do you want me to run through the whole timeline or you you ask me kind of the questions how much of it do you want man this is ultimately this is your episode man what kind of made you you and put you in the position that you're in man so yeah it's definitely an open-ending question i'm not editing you in in any way as far as that goes man being on the other side so i'm not used to answering the question (laughs) you as a guest but but not a lot no Uh, i'll just i'll rip through the rest for you no you're listening from there so seven and a half years of grants pass went from the night show to afternoons uh, one guy decided to hang it up, so I'd been there as the promotions director, so I ended up getting the program director job at 21 years old, and um, didn't really know what the hell I was doing. I'm still not sure I know what I'm doing, but, um, you know, and then ultimately you came to work for us and, and uh, a lot of other people who managed to come through the building. Uh, it had a good seven and a half year run there and ultimately got fired there, and it's um, not a secret. It's something I've talked about before. It was... Um, it wasn't really because of anything wrong. It was, they just made some big cutbacks back in um, 08. And uh, I don't want to say too much because the guy's not alive now that fired me, but we weren't on the same page. And he liked it one way, and I thought I 
knew what I needed to do to be successful. And we had, we were pretty successful there for a long time. And so, um, he ended up firing a couple of us on the same day, you know, the top salesperson and myself who were, you know, producing a lot there at the time. And I remember being just torn up about it because I, I was going to stay there for a long time. And I, I didn't really have goals to trying to get to Los Angeles or Portland or anywhere else. If that ended up happening, ultimately fine. But I just wanted to, to enjoy my career, you know, because being small town kids like we are, I just love being in the industry and the fact that I can make a living doing it and that I didn't have to shovel dirt, which <laughs> nothing against that because I don't mind shoveling. But um, so that was tough. You know, that was a tough, tough thing to have happen. And, and they say you haven't really lived in the radio business until you've been fired. And uh, I'm one of them. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I just remember thinking, the you know it's the worst thing ever my wife had moved up from california and she moved up and we got married and that was part of the thing like we had to decide to move her up or me there and i had a chance to go there and i passed on it because i thought that i could stay there forever if i wanted to that didn't end up happening but it ultimately led me to uh, by coastal media in medford where i got the job as the program director of the rock station at kzze and I roped into doing sales, which ultimately changed my life. I mean, um, I wouldn't be sitting in this house if it wasn't for advertising and sales. And so, you know, I, I went to work there as the program director for the rock station and ultimately moved down the hall to the country station, not as the program director, but just because I begged him to be on that station, you know, the Heritage Country Station. And, and from there, you know, just afternoons and middays and then, some, and then they had a situation they moved Larry out of the mornings they hired another guy that didn't work out and I was there and I just honestly I just asked for the job I said why don't you let me do it I feel like I can do it and like what you know and timing just worked out and and uh, decided to go for it and we've just had a tremendous amount of success in the last six years you know I've, I've had two different morning show partners the first one was awesome she ended up in Cincinnati and then um, we hired Ashley and her and I just, uh, you know, we had a hell of a run the past five and a half years, nominated for three Academy of Country Music Awards for Small Market Personalities of the Year. And something I never thought would ever happen one time, you know, let alone three in a row. And we, we didn't end up winning any of them. But um, I mean, as a, a small town kid like you and I are, I mean, it gives me the chills right now just talking about it because that's something I never, ever, ever thought was possible. Nope. You know, first of all, I didn't think it'd be possible to get a chance to be on the radio. And two, I never thought I'd be on like the Heritage Station for our valley, you know, and in that morning slot, that's the coveted slot. And then to have that much success and it all comes from, you know, hard work is what it all boils down to. And um, having fun and putting yourself out there and and working as hard as you can and, and and that's all I really know how to do honestly I think this whole talking thing I'm not the best at talking <laughs> but I, I, I know how to have fun and um, I think I have a pretty good idea of what people enjoy and so it's just being you man you know how it is it's just it's just being you and putting yourself out there and that's what has ultimately led me to where I am today and that's what 20 22 years I guess now at it, you know, I started when I was 18 like you did. And, uh, and here we are in 2000. So 
yeah, there's the whole there's the whole timeline for you. That's condensed. Part of it wasn't condensed. There's my there's my live radio story, and and here we are. And I mean, I'm I'm definitely grateful <clears throat> for the opportunity you you gave. I mean, now I'm in a situation where. Um, you know, I took a, a decade away from radio um, after I left the leader. Um, I ended up um, being put of a being put in a in charge of a, a station in Klamath Falls. Ended up starting a a uh, top forty or a CHR station in Klamath Falls. Um, as fun as you could possibly imagine that is um <laughs> top 40 or the clown falls part? both <laughs> even better taking uh taking the reins and and basically starting a chr station in klamath falls man um definitely a learning experience um but yeah um you know you mentioned um leaving Kajo and KLDR under those circumstances. I ultimately felt like, you know, um, it wasn't just like an <clears throat> outright situation, but very much the same thing. You know, the economy forced the ax to essentially drop like 08, 09. And in radio, you know, it's usually the people making the most money or the the people that rock the boat the most are ultimately the ones that are let go man so it's a it's a very interesting industry and one that i i can definitely relate to how you felt um leaving kldr and leaving that station that you would really kind of put a footprint on um yeah, just being in a situation where, you know, you really help to ultimately build something and all of a sudden one day that's just that's just kind of gone. It, it's it's almost like, I don't know, having to give up uh, a pet for adop adoption or, you know, it's pretty much like having a kid. It's like a, it's like a breakup. You know, in a, in a situation like, like imagine putting your life into like I said, seven years being married, and then all of a sudden like they up and leave you. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what it feels like. At least it felt like for me. Yeah, I, mean, I was crushed. Yeah, I was absolutely crushed. And I remember my dad telling me that he's like, if you don't keep your head up, you're not going to see when the deck next door opens. And I was moping, and I remember they took us out to dinner, and I remember when he said that, and I'm like, okay, I got to keep my head up my eyes open or I'm not going to see it and, and sure enough a couple days later um, I got a phone call someone said hey there's an opportunity in Medford you should call them I know someone there I already told them you're going to call so call them and that's what I did and, that, and that's how the opportunity in Medford came about but it's hard man it's it, people on the radio put their heart and soul and their life into it because we love it and it's almost a weird it, it's hard to explain people who aren't in it especially these days with as many other platforms I mean right here we're doing a podcast they've become wildly successful podcasts I have, I have one you have one or a couple and um but when it comes to radio, man, there's just something about it. And we just, we love it. You know, people in it love it for the most part. And they give up a lot of their free time and work for free sometimes because they love it so much. And that's the hard part when you have a situation where it comes down to a spreadsheet yep. decision and not 
personal, you know, that's what, that's what can suck. Yep. It, it, you know, it feels like something that you've put everything into can get taken away from you in a, a moment's notice, man. Um, I ended up working another industry for 10 plus years up until recently. And now, you know, uh, going to the other side of the building, um, you mentioned advertising on your end, um, you know, doing the same thing and basically handling the the marketing, some of the promotion work in the building that I'm in now. And uh, yeah, grateful to be back for that opportunity. Grateful to have um, an opportunity that ultimately pays better. Um, it feels like you're you're getting rewarded for the work you put in a little more than the actual programming end but yeah there's there's nothing like the the programming end man when you really learn um learn your craft and really kind of hone your craft um there's there's nothing like the ownership that that comes um when you have a group of people working together for an ultimate goal and um i'm sure you got that in place now with your station and i know for a period of time at uh kldr um for a good little run there we had we had things cooking pretty well too man it's a it's a I don't know, man. It's kind of a thankless job, but at the same time, it's, it's, there's nothing, nothing like the, the radio medium. Yeah. For me, it's listeners. I'll tell you, we've had so much success with our efforts for St. Jude, you know, we've raised millions of dollars in the last handful of years, you know, on a small market, um, which would be Medford, you know, it's considered a smaller market compared to the Portland's and the Los Angeles's and Chicago's of the world. But Man, when you see what your listeners do and when you can, you know, feel how passionate they are about the product and what you deliver for them, that's where, that, that's what makes it worth it. You know, it's not the money. It's, and I remember someone saying this to me early on that with the radio, you have the opportunity to make someone smile to start their day or maybe even end their day. And you don't know what the person on the other end of that speaker is going through. And you have no idea the impact that you can have on them until you do. And once you do, like for me, the the best experiences that I have had is relationships and and moments with listeners where you either have an opportunity to provide something to them, whether it's uh, concert tickets or an experience or whatever it is to where you did something for them where it made their day, made their month, made their year maybe, where that person on the other end that's heading to work and they just lost a family member, but you were able to say something on the air that took their mind off of that or or they're going through a rough patch and you just happen to say something and it's happened more times than I can even count. To me, that's what keeps me going, you know, it's the people. And that's what's made it so difficult with the current situation. And I just lost my morning show partner. She resigned this past week. And um, it's very raw still. And it's an emotional thing. It's something that is very upsetting to me. Um, but to hear the people who have called to talk to me or that have emailed or sent us Facebook messages talking about how this change has impacted them and the impact that we've had on people's lives over the past five and a half years, 
is very humbling and it's uh, overwhelming because we've had a chance to do some amazing things and make a huge impact on our community. And and that's what what keeps me going, is, is knowing that you can have that impact on someone. And no matter what anyone says right now about radio, you know, people say radio's dead, well, they're full of shit. Is it the same? No, it's not the same. But it's still there, it's still a free medium, it's still something people get in their cars and turn on in the morning. Not everyone, but there's still a good majority of the people still listening, especially if there's quality content that connects with the listener, they're gonna be there and it's it's very rewarding, you know. It's 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 a very special thing and a lot of people have no idea, they don't understand that relationship that we have with the listeners. Those of us who are all in, because not everyone's that way. You know, there's there's disc jockeys, as you call them, you know, back in the day. Like, hey, everybody, it's you know, 702, and coming up, we got another trouble play. That's not what I'm talking about. You know, I'm talking about a conversation, a normal conversation that we would have that is relatable to the listener and touches them in some way. And, and that's what I'm talking about, you know, to be able to do that. Um, for me, I hope it never ends, you know, and I think that's what's so special about podcasts, too. They're very similar, you know, you just get more long-form, real conversations, whether it's funny, sad, emotional, you know, it can be all, one conversation can be all of those things, you know, and it's just, it's powerful. Warby Parker is offering a free five-day home try-on to give you the opportunity to check out their glasses. To get your home try on today, go to WarbyParker.com forward slash Logan. Again, that's WarbyParkerTrial.com forward slash Logan for your free five-day home try on. How would you describe to somebody from the outside um, the effects of what's going on in the world? I know everyone's talking about COVID, the pandemic, but the reality is it's not just kind of a talking point. It has caused real people to deal with real shit and it's caused real decisions to take place from corporate entities especially when it comes to cost cutting um, in terms of employees deciding to ultimately do other things with their life Um, speak to the impact um, of the pandemic from your point of view um, in terms of terrestrial radio, a medium that, yes, some people say it's dying, but a medium that has more or less gone the automated route in the last 10 plus years, um, do feel that COVID has kind of been that, that nail in the, the coffin to um, people who view radio from the outside, just speak to your opinion of the uh, the pandemic and the industry um, and how it's affected it. Well, that's perfect time for <laughs> do one of these. Falling <laughs> all over the place. We'll clean that up later, but uh, let me pour a fresh one here. Um, I don't think it could have happened in a worse time, honestly. I think that, uh, you know, radio has its challenges, like everything else. And, and I compare it to what we've seen happen with brick and mortar stores, retailers, because we've seen retailers go away over a period of time, whether it was Sears or JCPenney or Gap that's struggling big time right now. So you have into the retail industry struggling because of the Amazons of the world, mainly Amazon really, or online shopping. 
radio is being challenged. You know, they thought Sirius XM would kill radio. That didn't happen. And it changed it some, but that didn't happen. Um, but what's happened with the pandemic is advertising came to a screeching halt, right? Because people are locked down. They're not traveling as much. They're spending more time online. So it's almost like there was something happening to radio and, and newspaper got it first, but already. But it's almost like radio used it as... I don't want to say they used it as an opportunity because that's not really right. But I think that some of the major companies, especially iHeart, they're slashing jobs like it's a gory movie, you know. <laughs> um, and they've just used it. They've taken this time. They've decided to use this time. I don't know if it's because of the pandemic or they were going to do it anyway, but they started slashing jobs all over the place. And then they're putting people on all across the country. Like, oh, you're going to do eight shows and you're going to do one in Chicago and L.A. and blah, blah, blah. And that's really hurt the industry, in my opinion, because you can see what we've done in Caribou Q and the success that we've had locally, both with ratings and revenue, with a local quality show. When you provide that, you're going to make dollars. And a lot of people across the country are just taking this cookie cutter approach. And it's ultimately what will kill radio if it gets killed. That will be it. Because you can't preach live and local when you're midday guys in Wisconsin. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. And so yep. radio's going to have a, they have a decision to make. And some of them are just throwing their hands up and just going mainly automated with uh, syndicated shows and voice track shows and whatever. So. I don't really know what it means for the radio business. I know how it's impacted us locally. I know how it's impacted a lot of the smaller stations. They're dealing with the same thing, right? They have to cut people. There's only so much money coming in. I've even told some of our advertisers, like, oh, what happened to so-and-so? I'm like, well, we ended up having to do X because there wasn't money coming in. So you can't be upset that someone's gone if you weren't advertising. Because yep. the only way we make money is you advertising. Yep. So, Mr. Advertiser, if you're that upset about it, maybe you should support the station that you're talking about. <laughs> you know, it's an interesting conversation to have with people because they're like, we want to we want to know. Well, y'all pulled your advertising when COVID hit. And I understand why some of them did. Some of them panicked, but some of them legitimately were closed and had to stop advertising. I totally get that, but... Man, that hurt. There was a couple months there where it was thin and it was not good. Like it was going downhill in a hurry. And luckily we rallied and were able to recover somewhat and it's not back to where it was. But um, to me, it couldn't have happened at a worse time for radio. Um, and stations, the way they're responding to it across the country is, I mean, to me, you don't, you don't find success by making everything cookie cutter. Nope. You build a great quality station with personalities people can relate to. The listeners will come and the revenue follows because it's a money. It's, it, we're in business, right? We're in business to make money. Also serve the community. But uh, yeah, does that answer your question? <laughs> it, it definitely does, man. And it's a tricky one. It's a tough one because I don't want to bash our industry, but the industry hasn't very done a very good job of taking care of the industry. No. No. And ultimately it, it 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 feels a lot different getting back into it after ten years away and ultimately seeing it from the other side. Um working in wireless, either in sales or in the last three, four years managing um managing stores in um California Washington and Idaho um you know I I saw 
everything at its worst, um, especially the time the pandemic hit. Um, and being in a spot where not only was I, you know, managing an entire wireless store, but I was the only person working in an entire store for a period of time. Um, yeah, I had an employees, but ultimately employees that felt that because they had to work during a pandemic, you know, the, the kind of vibe that you get when you work with a 18 to 21 year old kids, you know, they're thinking a pandemic's going on, they should be home and be able to get paid for it or get hazard time and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting time, man. And the, the thing is with that now going back to what I love to do and being able to, um, get back into radio from, a past in the programming side now to to a sales and, and marketing side it is it is rough i did a drop in on one of my clients the other day who has a smokehouse here in the lewiston area that basically her her restaurant is just really a front for a catering business and over the last two quarters basically lost um over six figures um, just not being able to do um, any catering or line up any catering over $100,000 um, just in lost revenue with Idaho going back to stage three. So it's uh, it's an impossible time and it's ultimately uh, it's it's a it's a trip to ultimately learn to market around that and how to basically portray a message in a positive light to get people in the door without ultimately saying, Hey, you know, this person is, is basically out six figures. Least you could do is come by lunch. You know, it's, yeah, it's been crazy, man. It's been a lot of lost revenue. It's something you can't replace either. Yep. And uh, just trying to go out there to support businesses, but there's at the same time, you don't want it too busy because people are too close to each other and yada, yada, yada. So it's just a constant roller coaster. Yep. And it's, uh, it's, it's crazy to think, man. It's, um, I had, I had somebody ask me, um, the other day when I ended up leaving, um, working in wireless. And when I put in my two week notice, um, my district manager basically asked me ultimately why without knowing my background or anything that has to do with it, you know, um, ultimately it comes down to, to going back what I love to do, you know, and their first impression of that was like, Oh, like, <clears throat> you know, you're going back to school to do something else. No, it's like, um, you know, I come from, uh, come from a different world and I spent a good period of time in that. Um, yeah. I, I think just like you said that once you're in it, it kind of becomes ultimately a part of you. And that's kind of a hard thing to ultimately, uh, ultimately escape, man. It's something that I've always wanted to get back into, but with the days of automation and stuff like that, um, you know, after you send out a few demos, a few resumes, and I just got to a point where, you know, the money managing and wireless back in the day, pre pandemic, um, was was too good compared to what I was making 
doing on-air production or being an assistant program director. The money was just too good working wireless, and that's what ultimately kept it going for a decade, but didn't mean that the love for broadcasting wasn't always still there. Yeah. Well, now there's just different ways to do it. You know, like this platform here that we're on, podcasts, radio and podcasts, like I'm doing now with mine, you know, it's kind of a side hobby, and there's just a lot of different ways to, to keep it going and be in it. So that's what's cool, you know, it's, it's customizable these days. Like if you can't get to the radio station, you can have a podcast, and everyone and their dog has a podcast now, but you know, if you're dedicated to it and you really like what you're doing with it, you know, the people are going to gravitate towards it or not. And if they don't, well, then you can still do it and have fun with it. Yep. So it's just a matter of what you want to do. And some of those dogs host a mighty nice show. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, some of us are still trying to figure it out. <laughs> you know, like me, I'm just trying to get an episode once a week, man. And it was like four or five or six. I don't know how many weeks since my last episode. <laughs> they just came out and did like a, a mini pod. But I've, I've, we've had a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. Soccer and what's happening at work. It's just been hot. And so even like best laid plans don't end up happening, but hundred percent. Yeah, there's only so much time in the day, but uh, even us trying to figure out when to make this work is it going to be Friday? And then we'll... <laughs> but you know, if you want to do it, you work hard enough at it, it. Anything's possible. I mean, people say that it's kind of cliche, but it really is. I mean, I, my story is is um, just one of hard work. Really, it's not. It's not like I'm ridiculously talented because I sure as hell don't feel like it, and. Um, it's just it's just hard work and determination you know and, and not taking no for an answer you know or just being persistent and and listening to people you know because you can learn a lot from that and that's something I'm still trying to like hone my craft of just listening you know my wife would probably tell you I'm not very good at it <laughs> it's like I try and listen because you can learn a lot from listening Hey, I'm, for all intents and purposes, once divorced because that lack of listening. So I get it. (laughs) 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 So, I mean... With the the things that that you have done, man, one thing that I always appreciate from you is even working... For you to what you're doing now, the the great things with St. Jude is the the fact that um, you kind of put your own interest aside to kind of be selfless and use the medium for good as compared to, you know, there's been forever, you know, there's been the, the big talking heads in radio where ultimately they they use the platform to ultimately get everything they can out of it for themselves, man. So um, with you, I mean, really dig into the, the St. Jude side of it, man, um, how that came about, that, that partnership and everything you've done for people that will be listening to this show that might not um, be aware of anything. So uh, speak to St. Jude and your efforts there because um, you're doing amazing things, man. And I'd, I'd love to hear it from your point of view. Well, I mean, for me, I, I think it started with coming from a family of caring people and givers, you know? So I learned from my parents and my grandparents, you know, who, who have a very successful company. 
now. It hasn't always been that way. And I've seen them fail. And they failed a couple of times when I was a kid. And uh, people look at them now and, and they have, you know, an amazing company. And uh, I chose to go a different direction. But I learned a lot from watching them as far as, like, the giving part. You know, they were always there to help the softball team, the football team, or whatever. If something was needed, they were going to try and help out. Um, and for me, you know, I started working in Roseburg, and there was just a situation where there was a kid in, in Riddle Creek who had leukemia and needed some help. And there was a, and a, a thing we were doing at the radio station where we'd help out people during Christmas. And the, the wish, wish upon a star was called, they got denied. And I've told this story on a different podcast. And I remember being so upset about that, that they denied you know, a wish that was just as simple as getting cards sent to Dornbecker in Portland for this kid and maybe some DVDs. And I was so pissed off about it, you know. And so I just took it upon myself and teamed up with some people at the radio station to help this kid out. He ultimately ended up passing away. But to tell them, I'll try not to get into all the details, but which that ended up leading me to be on the National Bone Marrow Registry list. Um, with the race for Chase that was held at South Umpqua High School and we never found a match for Chase and he ended up passing away he was 16 years old I think 17 when he passed away so that's what was my first touch of really getting involved and in trying to help someone professionally and then um, I didn't do a lot at KLDR other than some of the kids toy drives and stuff like that but when I went to work in Medford at Bicoastal and for KRWQ and they were doing the St. Jude fundraiser and I didn't really know anything about St. Jude I hadn't really seen the commercials like a lot of people with Marla Thomas and Danny Thomas her dad started St. Jude back in Memphis and nobody has to pay and they're doing you know leading the world in the way they treat and defeat childhood cancer and so I started to learn about it and I remember at the time thinking okay they're doing this fundraiser and I'm kind of involved, but not really. I was a sales guy trying to sell it, and then I went to Memphis for the first time. And I was like, holy shit. I mean, I had an infant at that point, our first kid. And I remember this dad walking out of this hallway, excuse me, with the pajamas on this little baby with no hair. Same pajamas my daughter had at the same time. You know, and I was like, oh my God, I just saw my daughter in that guy's arms. And it crushed me, you know? And uh, I remember coming home from Memphis thinking, we gotta, we gotta do more. And it just took time and it took building relationships and all those things. I'm gonna kind of fast forward to a lot of the details because I could talk for hours about St. <laughs> Jude and what we've been able to do and, and the amazing support people in Southern Oregon have had. Um, but really all I did, it's not rocket science. I came back and told the story, right? I came back and told my clients what I saw. I told my friends, I told my parents, I told everyone what I saw and why they need to support St. Jude because no family ever pays a bill when they go there, right? And they're leading the way the world treats and defeats childhood cancer. There's my elevator speech for you right there. If you're not a partner in hope, you should be. Because I've always said, and I firmly believe that someday we're gonna cure cancer and they're gonna be the place to do it. And I wanna be on that team. And so I'm gonna give them as much of my energy I can possibly give because I wanna be a part of the solution. When they say we've got the cure for cancer and it comes from Memphis and it comes from St. Jude, there's gonna be a bunch of us that said, we knew it was gonna happen. We told you it was gonna happen. And that's why we work so hard. And you know, what we ended up doing was with a, with a great team and great sponsors, and it's a, it's a freaking team effort and Southern Oregon deserves all of the credit, you know, not us. 
for being the voice, but the people in Southern Oregon that donate their money. And, you know, we went from having radiothons that were pulling in 70,000, 75,000. Pretty soon we hit 119 one year, and then 152, and then 201, and then 252, and then 300, and then 301, and then last year we had $401,000. With with some side events and things, golf tournament, the Brittany ride definitely deserves credit for a lot of that, but... And so all of a sudden we're hosting these radiothons that are that are doing as much as some of the biggest cities in America. And so we've had a chance to, to be invited to speak at some of the seminars because of our success. And it really just speaks to the believing in the mission of what they're doing, spreading the word and asking people to help. It's that simple. And people are like, how do you guys do it there? That's it. That's all it is. It's not some magical hocus pocus. It's as simple as telling people why and asking them to get on board. And people do. And it's because then that's why so much money's been raised. And, and ultimately, that money goes to helping fight you know, cancer and develop cures for cancer and other catastrophic illnesses. And it's been awesome, man. It's been, it has been the highlight of my career, not the ACM award nominations. Um, it's been the work for St. Jude because it's, it's important. And, uh, I know that if it was ever my kid or your kid that had to deal with that, that there's a place that's fighting day and night on the clock trying to find the cures. And they're not charging anyone to go there. And so that's, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I drink the Kool-Aid. I share the Kool-Aid because I believe with my heart, it's the best place in the world. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's a magical place. And for those people who don't know about St. Jude, you should look it up because it's a, it's a wonderful place and it's, it's a place of hope. And, uh, that's, that's what stands out to me. You know, you go there and it's a, it's a happy place. The kids that are there are amazing. They're wise beyond their years. And you feel like when you're there, that anything is possible. And they've, I mean, they, they've taken survival rates from like 10, 20%, you know, years and years ago, back in the sixties to like 80, 85% now. And it's climbing uh, because of the work they've done. And, and so I just tell the story, man. I just tell it to anyone who will listen to me. And that's what we've done. And been fortunate to have a lot of great partners and, and ultimately raise a shit ton of money for St. Jude and help those kids out and help those families that are walking through the door right now find out that, oh my gosh, I got sent to this place and I don't have to pay a cent. Like, it, it, it's, I always come home from Memphis and I feel like a broken record when I say this because I've said it before on other podcasts I've been a guest on. I come home from Memphis excited and discouraged because I see what they're capable of there when you remove the barriers. Like nothing is impossible there because there's no red tape. They, they make their own drugs, they do whatever, they, because it's us funding them, so right? They're not relying on some big, I mean, they have corporate sponsors, but they can pretty much do what they need to do to get the job done, and they're gonna do whatever it takes to help that kid. If it means music therapy, all these things that you wouldn't see at a normal hospital, they do it to make it easy on the family. They, they take care of the, I mean, they, they literally think of everything. And so what I mean by getting discouraged when I come home is that I, I leave there and think, man, we're, we're all fighting in America. And here in Memphis, we have this magical place where it's like, it's not, it's not utopia. It's not perfect, but they sure should give it a hell of a try. And miracles happen there. It's, it's, it's amazing. And so it's, it's inspiring, but also like has taught me how to be better in other areas, you know, it's like 
people of all races, religions, colors, you know, you name it, come together to do amazing things. And that's where the world needs more of that, man. You know, and so anytime I can spread the message about St. Jude and what they're doing, I will because it's important and there you go. That's it. That answers your question. Yeah. I get carried away. <laughs> no. No, man. It, it, it validates my point um, in terms of you uh, going out of your way to look out for other people, too. And then when you see it um, from a parent's point of view, especially when you go into a corporate hospital or deal with the... Um, never ending back and forth of working with insurance providers and stuff like that. It's refreshing to know that there's an outlet, <laughs> excuse me, um, when families are, are going through the lowest moments imaginable. Um, that way they can focus on doing whatever they can to ultimately um, get their child's health uh, where they want it to be as compared to um, an insurance company telling them, hey, um, there's there's not going to be a way that we're going to pay for this or it's going to be this long. It's good to know there's an outlet out there to not only support the families, but also the children that are dealing with that situation firsthand. Yeah, it just shows you what's possible. And, uh when you can put everything else aside, like when money isn't an issue, what is possible, which in the grander scheme of things makes you think that maybe we're capable of even more outside of that. Yeah. Um, but it's hard because money gets in the way. Yep. In any situation, money gets in the way. Yep. This is reality. You know, we can't all just sit around and sing Kumbaya all day. But somehow step back from that. It's, you can, amazing things can be accomplished when there's enough people providing so that they can do whatever it takes to get the job done. And that's what ultimately St. Jude is, right? There's enough donors to provide enough money that they can do whatever they need to do to take care of that kid. Even if it means $100,000 for one pill, they're gonna do it because it's the right thing to do. Yep. Whereas that kid might be put on a, uh, yeah. Might be list, or you're just never going to get it because you don't have the money. Correct. You know? Or get a generic medication um, that that might not do the same thing. Might might have a very similar chemical makeup, but not necessarily have the uh, the same capabilities of um, the drug that cost a hundred thousand dollars. We got pretty awesome. That's why I tell people, you know, you can do a buck or 10 bucks or whatever. It's, uh, I told my wife during the pandemic, we cut just about everything possible because my income got slashed by like 70% or yeah. let's do it during uh, April, May. And she asked me, said, okay, here, we're giving this much a month to St. Jude. I said, don't even go there. Don't go there. I said, if our kids can't eat, then come talk to me. But that will be the last thing that gets cut because it's that important to me. You know, I'd, I'd cut off any other thing bef before that, you know, because it's that important to me. Jason Allen hanging out with us. PNW Pod. Um, again, 
um, featuring professionals throughout the Northwest uh, doing amazing things in a lot of different industries. Um, if you want to be featured on the show or know someone that um, is doing things for the betterment of not only their career, but also others. These are the people that we want to speak to. Um, email address, the brand Logan at gmail.com. Um, again, the brand Logan at uh, gmail.com. And then uh, use the subject line PNW pod. Uh, we will do our best to try to get um, one done a week, if not every other week. Um, but yeah, this is kind of the format of this show. Um, we're just shooting the breeze, having a beer, having a drink. Speaking of that, what are you drinking right now? Uh, I poured it all over my lap, but I don't know if I should get up on accident. <laughs> I'm to pull it off with a six pack, but I'm drinking a Worthy from Bend, Oregon, the Northwest IPA. It's a 6.9% and uh, pretty, pretty legit. And uh, I'm equal opportunity, but I definitely have my Oregon beers. And uh, yeah. Is that a mullet? You got a mullet going right now? You have to see the picture. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty long. My family pictures actually. And, uh, my wife said I need to cut it off. I don't know. It's, I had it in a ponytail earlier tonight. My kids were messing with me. Let me see if I can get it in a ponytail. So. Yeah, I quarantined. I didn't cut my hair for like four or five months. And it was like, man, it was long up here, back here. I mean, I was going full on Oregon. Get it. I decided to just let my sister cut it in a mullet. And I've really been enjoying it. And uh, my hair's never been as long in the back and it's curly. So I'm going for it. And hopefully my wife doesn't make me cut it off. Family pictures next week. Or at least a year. Because 2020, why not grow a fucking <laughs> <laughs> oh man I'm always I'm always messing with it and here I am messing with it talking, so. when you turn sideways I'm like <laughs> oh man but yeah man you can see the mullet I think it's a, I think it's a picture on Instagram I uh garage talk with Jason Allen if you want to check it out on Instagram that would be ridiculous but uh, yeah <laughs> That's a it's a good look, man. Not many people can pull it off, but I'm I'm being honest with you. It looks good. Morgan Wallen, I'm totally down. So, I mean, obviously, um, you know, me working with you, we we had a station um, in the AAA format. Then you come from top 40 starting in in roseburg to uh, a very limited adult contemporary they call it triple a format with kldr um to now country men um would you say that the the country format has been the the best experience for you as far as your radio career is concerned or how would you how would you answer that so, yeah, I mean, KLDR was awesome because, again, it's about the listener and it's what you make it. But country, man, people are just down to earth and people can make fun of country all they want. The, the salt of the earth people, man. And we came from a small town. There's a lot of people from the from the woods and they like their country music and they want to drink beer and, you know, whatever. And people can talk shit about country. But, man, I, I, it's been the time of my life. And to have... A chance to do the morning show on a heritage country station that's a monster is is awesome and uh it's been quite the ride 
for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm in a uh, building now where ultimately here in Idaho, I mean, as you can imagine, country is king. Um, you know, we've we've got a heater um, with our country station, and our our country station is not only here, but we have you know two hours south, we have basically a, uh, a toned down version of the, the same station there, man. So, um, country's, country's never going to go away, man, where people flip flop, um, top 40 rock by the handful, um, sports talk. You don't see many country stations get flip flopped. No, not at all. And it, it's wildly popular. They've, you know, adapted. They sound more pop-ish or rock-ish at times or whatever. But, you know, it just it, it attracts a, an interesting listener and a wide variety of listeners. And, you know, it's a, it's a good time for sure. And I remember um, being in Grants Pass as a 18, 19, 20-year-old kid. And then uh, there was that that oldies country station there in uh, Grants Pass. And I remember always uh, always laughing about that station. But um, me at 35, man, it's like up here, there's so many variations of the, the Hank format, man, where you've got the 70s, 80s, 90s, and now early 2000s. That's not a, a hot country format, but you've essentially got country golds on a station in of itself. And obviously that plays well in, in certain markets, but I never thought, you know, uh, if you would have asked me, you know, 15, 16, 17 years ago, if I thought that um, country golds would ever be a sustainable radio format, man, it's it's a wild time that you can have basically hot country and, and country golds um, working together. And like the stations, uh, the company that I work for have them in the same building. Um, yeah. Just a couple couple notches down the FM dial, man. It's, it's, it's wild to actually sell and used to think that you would have to have a cluster of stations basically all across the format. But yeah, yeah, it's interesting when you have two stations that close together that both can hold their own. Yeah, definitely possible. Yeah. There's a lot of good music that came out back then, so yeah. I'm surprised more stations haven't tried to do it, honestly, because people are always like, oh, where's the 90s and 2000s country? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. People want more than just the back end of a back end of the stop set at the end of the hour. Yeah. <laughs> well, shit, man. I mean, I could ask questions for days, man, but I know you got to be up in the morning. So, um, yeah, man, I will, I will let you go. I definitely appreciate your time and, and being the first guest, um, on this new podcast, man. And, um, as we, we move forward, uh, look forward to having you back on the show again. Yeah, man, I, it's an honor. I appreciate you asking. And hopefully we set a bar low enough <laughs> that it's easy for your next guest to exceed the expectation. <laughs> well, this time I'm sick. So next time I'll make sure that um, there's alcohol involved. But yeah, definitely not on my A game for this first episode, man. So next time I'll make sure I'm tuned up and not just on NyQuil. Well, I only had, I only had, well, I was going to 
I don't know how many I was planning on. <laughs> one poured, and I was going to pour another one. And I don't know if I shook it up when I was pulling it off the six pack, but as soon as I cracked it, it blew all of my floor. So I'm going to walk back inside, and my wife's going to think I'm hammered. <laughs> <laughs> now I got a mess to clean up. Yeah. Yeah. Not only do you. <laughs> have to have an explanation you also have to do the cleanup it's a uh, worst of both worlds man that's right maybe i'll just crack another one before i go back <laughs> give it enough time to dry out i'm just gonna get a towel and mop that shit <laughs> i mean i do have to get up in the morning, so. <laughs> you know, during covid i feel like it's all fair game though and even when i only sleep a couple hours it's like what is what does it matter? You know, we're just going for it. We're doing the best we can here. It's the end of days. It's like Red Dawn all over again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, man. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, it's been a good time. And uh, I hope you're doing well. And that uh, life's treating you at least okay. Yeah. Uh, better. And, uh, if you ever need anything, man, hit me up. And I'm always happy to share what little bit of knowledge I have. So. Will do, man. I mean, if you ever need something, just hit me up and uh, I appreciate you having me on for sure. All right. Jason Allen, morning host at KRWQ in uh, Medford, Oregon. First guest on PNW Pod. All right, Jason, have a good night, man. And hopefully uh, the conversation goes well with the wife when you get back in there. All right, buddy. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. Later, man. This was a Logan Agency production. For more, visit us at theloganagency.com.